I've really um, only pastored two churches. I've had some youth ministries and some ministry of education, but I've really only been the pastor of two churches. Uh, I've been here now for 11 and a half years. I was a Memphis, Tennessee pastor for 16 years and um, love it here. Liked, loved it there as well. Great. Liked it. Loved it there. But um, I want to tell you a story that took place my first month when I was a senior pastor. I'm 28 years old. This is 1989 January. One of our elders had a heart attack. And so he was in St. Joseph Hospital, which is downtown uh, Memphis. And so I am trying to find St. Joseph Hospital, downtown Memphis, two o'clock in the afternoon. I take a wrong turn. And instantly I knew I was in the wrong place. When you read about the crime in Memphis, 80% of all the crime in Memphis is in a three-mile radius. And I had inadvertently gotten off the highway, and I was right in the middle of this uh, three-mile radius. I knew it. It's 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I locked my doors. You don't ask for directions, but you just feel the presence of you. You ever ever done that? You, You ever know instantly that you're in the wrong place at the wrong time? Now, conversely... Back in 1979, I load up all my worldly possessions in my Cutlass Supreme car. Took, took five minutes. I loaded up all my worldly possessions, and I take off from Indianapolis, Indiana, and I'm going to Johnson University in Knoxville, Tennessee. Now, I don't come from a family of pastors and preachers. They're General Motors people. They're aeronautical engineers. They're electrical engineers. I come from a more of a business leadership type family. But I'm going to Johnson University, which is known for teaching people the Bible. And so there's fourth and fifth generations of, of preacher's kids that are there. I don't know the Bible. I've barely been a Christian. Um, I didn't know there were two Josephs. I, you've you got to be kidding me. There's two Josephs in the Bible. Who the heck is Abraham? Abraham was the kid on my basket, little Jewish boy on my basketball. I don't know, I don't know who Abraham is. So anyway, I, I go there, and even though I am like, it's way over my head, the first week of all these classes, I know I'm in the right place. I know it. And you know that. You know when you're in the wrong place. And you know when you are in the right place, and you know there is a great difference between the two. When you ask a friend, now not an acquaintance, not on a Sunday morning, not out in the lobby over your healthy apple fritters or whatever you get out there, but when you, but when you really start unpacking a relationship with somebody, and you say, how are you doing? And, and somebody says to you, I'm not in a good place. You know what that means. I'm not in a good place physically. I'm not in a good place emotionally. I'm not in a good place spiritually. Instantly, you know something's going on here and something's going on up here, right? You know. But what if somebody says to you, and and they may have gone through a divorce, their business may have shut down, they may have had a bankruptcy, they may have lost a, a, a spouse, but they still say to you, you know what? I'm in a really good place. And you know they've just gone through a tragedy. I'm in a really good place. You know exactly what they mean. Now, here's my question this morning. Where are you? Where are you? Are you in a really good place? Are you where you're supposed to be? Inside of here, 
And, and inside of here, you, everybody in the room, you know whether or not you are in the will of God. And you know whether or not you are doing the things that sustain the will of God within your lives. Places in life really do matter. And so today, I want to talk about places. Last week, we talked about the power players of Christmas. Today, I want to talk about the power places of Christmas. Why? Places matter. If you've ever been, you know, reading through the scriptures, and you'll notice, you know, all these different places in the Bible. Why are all these places mentioned in the Bible? And if you see all these different places, if you're like me, and you don't know what a place is, or you can't, like, pronounce it? Do you just like read over it like I do? I just kind of skip over it and read over it? Well, that's not a very good way to learn, is it? So today, I want you to understand these places. Because when you read the Christmas story, these places just pop out, and they're significant. And I've never taught on this until an hour ago before on why these places are significant. And then we're coming to you. We'll come back to you, and we'll talk about how your place in life really does matter. So Luke chapter 2 verse 1 says this. It says, In those days Caesar Augustus, he issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Caesar Augustus is 1,500 miles away from Jerusalem, 1,500 miles away from Bethlehem, 1,500 miles away from all that Judea area. He is in Rome. And so I just want to start with Rome. Here's kind of a map of what Rome would look like about 2,000 years ago. And now, here's the other key to this morning. Even if you're not a Christian, and maybe you're not in the right place, and you don't care. I mean, there's some of you not in the right place in the room, and you don't care. The next five or six minutes is going to be, I think, fascinating to you because it's history. So let's talk about some of the facts and figures, some bullet points about each one of these four key cities. Here's the first one. This is Rome. A lot of people live there. Over a million souls lived in Rome. At ex- extensive aqueducts, stately temples, uh, you know it was the capital. Um, a lot of soldiers, half a million soldiers. Half a million uh, Roman soldiers lived in there for protection. Wealthy nobility, um, you know that. The arts, the arts flourished there during the days of Rome. The moral pollution, pleasure, and self-indulgence about Look at that last line here, the very next one. They sunk to a new low of sensuality and superstition. If you read about the debauchery and the depravity of Rome, it makes us look like, you know, the Virgin Mary today. If you go through and read about the debauchery and the the depravity of Rome, I'm not saying America's good. I'm not saying we've done things well. I'm not saying everything's great. I'm just saying compared to this, this is, we we live in candy land compared to what took place in this culture. It's hard to imagine. Everybody always says things are getting worse. No, no, things don't always get worse. They have been worse in history, and things were probably at an all-time moral low during the days of the Roman Empire. So the first power place is Rome. Why Rome? Because it's where Caesar Augustus. What's the big deal about Caesar Augustus? He issued a, a decree. How else is God going to get Mary and Joseph 80 miles, nine months pregnant on a donkey? How else would you do that? You have the Roman dictator issue a decree. So keep that in mind. Okay. City number two is Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem is this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, magi from the east, they came where? They came to Jerusalem. Here's a map of Jerusalem. Look at the star. You'll see that's exactly where Jerusalem is. Um, We hear about it on the news almost every night. This is what we hear about. We see and watch. That's the star is where Jerusalem is. Let's talk about Jerusalem, some bullet points. It's called the city of David. David conquered the city about 10th century B.C., um, it is uh, known for its grandeur, restored by Herod. Now, there's lots of Herods, but Herod the Great, and Jesus was born during the days of Herod the Great. This Herod was called Herod the Great because he was a massive builder, a tremendous builder, an architect, a builder, a uh, civil engineer. And, and what he would do is he would, he would just expand the whole city of, of Jerusalem. He took the temple and um, just... Uh, they rebuilt the temple. The first temple was Solomon's temple. The second temple was Zerubbabel's temple. But this temple of Zerubbabel, he took it and just expanded it greatly. Look at the next little point. Um, he also put a four-mile-long thick wall around the city there for protection. Also in Jerusalem, we have massive gates uh, that form custom stations. This is one of the reasons why Caesar Augustus, 1,500 miles away, loved Herod the Great, because Herod the Great taxed everybody. He made lots of money. Lots of wealth flowed from Jerusalem all the way back to Rome because of these custom stations. Inside were all kind of markets. Let's look at some more things. Um, I didn't know this. I didn't know there were 480 synagogues. A couple weeks ago, I read that. A couple different reports collaborated that. I thought that was fascinating. Remember, there's one temple, one big, 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 massive temple, but 480 like schools, 480 like little church buildings. I didn't know there were that many. 480 different synagogues. The lower city, this is kind of like every city, kind of like every town. There's the haves and have-nots. There's the upper middle, you know, classes, and then there's the lower classes. The lower class, the lower city, uh, was the lower classes and had simple houses, and the streets are very disorganized. No, no organization whatsoever. But the upper class, look at the upper city, the upper city, it's like they had civil engineers. And the upper city is just laid out, you know, in squares, and it all fits together, and it all just kind of makes sense. And there's elegant houses there. There's mansions there. It's like every town, every city, there's wealthy, and there's extremely poor, and you have that, had that, and you have that even today in, in Jerusalem. Okay. Um, the upper market, uh, it's funny because they got upper markets and lower markets. They got high-end places. You know, the Nordstrom's, the Dillard's, the Macy's. And then they've got, you know, the Kmart, Blue Light Specials. Nothing wrong with Kmart. I'm just saying they've got, you know, don't write me an email. I work at Kmart. You know, I, I don't, anyway, there's just, there's just a difference here. There's, there's a difference between, and they've got them in every city and in every town and in every community. All right? So that pretty well lays out um, this Roman occupation. Herod is expanding for Caesar Augustus, and that takes care of that. All right, let's look at the next one. The next one then is um, another city, Luke chapter 2, verse 4. So Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Bethlehem uh, to, I'm sorry, in Galilee to Judea in Bethlehem. So the next city we want to talk about is Nazareth. Now, why Nazareth? That's where Mary and Joseph live. So here's a picture of Nazareth. Here's what it looked like. Uh, Again, you can see the star way up to the north. See the Sea of Galilee? That's the Sea of Galilee there. The other big lakes, the Dead Sea. But anyway, that's the Sea of Galilee. Jesus hung out a lot there, didn't he? 
A lot of stories Jesus told about the sea and the water and the Sea of Galilee. Jesus walked on water up, up there. Anyway, I just want you to see where it is. Now let's talk about Nazareth for just a little bit. Here we go. It's the home of Mary and Joseph. It's where the angel announced Mary's virgin conception. And by the way, it's not really, it is a virgin birth, but it, it was the virgin conception that was the big deal, right? It wasn't the birth. It was the conception. The birth was like every other birth. Are you with me on this? What makes this a miracle is, is, is that it was a conception. It was a virgin's conception. All right, look at the next one. Jesus grew um, from infancy to manhood. He began his public ministry in Nazareth. Okay? Twice he was expelled. Uh, oh, sorry. The home crowd wanted to throw him off the cliff. Danita and I were actually at that cliff. And she was way too close to that cliff. And I wasn't about to get to that cliff, for she might have pushed me over. But anyway, we got real close to that cliff. And I saw where that cliff was. And I'm going, yeah, I can see this. I get this. I know how this happened. Um, Twice he was expelled from their borders there. All right. Uh, Miracles were not performed there because of so much of his um, unbelief. He moved to Capernaum. So when he was in Nazareth, and they rejected him. He left his hometown, and he went to Capernaum. So when you read in the Bible, this place called Capernaum, that's where Jesus spent most of his three years. He was in Nazareth only a little while. He spent most of his time, though, in, in Capernaum. Um, Fifteen to 20,000 inhabitants in this city of Nazareth. It's about an 80-mile trip then from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Okay? All right. Let's go to the next city. One more. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem. I want to talk about the fourth place, Bethlehem. We've talked about Rome. We've talked about Jerusalem. We've talked about um, Nazareth. And now we're going to talk about Bethlehem. Why is this significant? Look at a map. Here's a map of Bethlehem. See the star? It's a long way from Nazareth, isn't it? It's 80 miles. It's a haul from there. Uh, let's, Let's look at some bullet points. Number one. It's called the House of Bread. Uh, it's where David's from. It's where David, as a little boy, uh, was anointed by uh, was anointed king by Samuel the prophet. It was the birthplace of our Savior Jesus Christ. Remember, there was no room in the end. They go to Bethlehem, and they couldn't find any Ritz Carlton. They couldn't find any Motel Six. They couldn't get anywhere. Right. All right. Next little point. Um, there was a prophecy in Micah. Now, even if you're not a Christian, you got to deal with this. Because hundreds of years before this, um, there was a prophecy in this book of Micah that predicted that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. So even if you're not a believer, keep looking up here, hang on, hang on, hang on. Uh, Even if you're not a believer, you got to recognize something's going on there, right? All right, look at the next one. Next little point. This is free trivia. It's where Rachel died. Would you have known that? See, that was free this morning. That was for you, okay? And it's where the story of Ruth and Boaz also takes place. Caesar Augustus issued a decree. Everyone goes to the hometown. This is the hometown of Joseph. You ever wonder, now, I don't get all these places. Well, I thought Joseph was from Nazareth. He was. That's where he lived. Well, why'd they go to Bethlehem? Well, they went to Bethlehem because that's where he was born, and they had to go back to the hometown. Why? Because the Roman, Caesar Augustus, issues a decree that everybody's got to go back to the hometown and register. I I get why you read over this. It's confusing. But all these places are going to make sense to you after today. It's a small town, maybe a population of about 1,000. 
And um, with the registrations again, all those ends were absolutely full. Okay, now I'm going to read the Christmas story to you off the screen. And when I read the Christmas story to you, it's going to make sense. Start asking yourself, where are we? Why are these places in the Bible? If they're in the Bible, they must be there for a reason. So here's the Christmas story, Matthew chapter 1, and you tell me where we are in the story. All right, here we go. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary, what town is she from? She's from Nazareth, right? She's from Nazareth, was pledged to be married to Joseph. Where is Mary and Joseph living? They're from Nazareth, all right? But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was, a, was faithful to the law and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord in Nazareth, the angels, Gabriel, appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son where? In Bethlehem, right? And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Okay? All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. Again, if you're not a Christian, you got to deal with Isaiah. Because Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 was written 700 years before this took place you got to figure out, what do I do with Micah? What do I do with Isaiah? Because they were all written well before Jesus was ever born. This prophecy, at least 700 years before Jesus was ever born. The virgin will conceive, give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he's still right now in Nazareth. He's not in Bethlehem yet. When Joseph woke up from the dream, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. What a story. Look at this in Luke. Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus. Where's Caesar Augustus? He's in Rome. He issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Verse 2. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. We read about Syria every night. We watch Syria every night in the news. It's exactly where it is. Verse 3. And everyone went to their own town to register. Why? He had to go all the way to Bethlehem. Why Bethlehem? Because he had to get there to register. That's where he was from. Look at verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth, So Nazareth is where the angel talks to Mary. Nazareth is where, you know, everything's going on right there with Joseph. In Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David. Now, this is an 80-mile trip. I want you to see this next map. This is 80 miles. Look at that distance. 80 miles from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. Now, the lady who does the slides with me and for me, uh, her name's Deb, and she works in Israel. So she travels to Israel on a regular basis. And so early this morning before first service, she said, you know what this map doesn't show? It doesn't show the terrain. Makes it look like it's just a nice, smooth walk, like on US 95 or something, right? Or US 75. This is one bad-to-the-bone trip. And Mary is nine months pregnant, 
And ladies, she's traveling on the back of a donkey. And they're still married. I mean, how can you imagine that? I mean, I mean, think about this. This is an incredible story. Look at the next verse. He went there. He went where? Where did he go to register? He went to Bethlehem. You got it. You're such a smart car. I knew you'd get this. He went there to Bethlehem to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, where are they? They're in Bethlehem. The time came for the baby to be born. Verse 7 says this, And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths, and she placed him in a manger, because there were no guest rooms available for them. If you're going to make up a story, you wouldn't have it like this, would you? You wouldn't have him be born in a stable, smelly manure, straw. You, just, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't do this. What an amazing story this takes place. Now, here's my question to you. Where are you? Where are you? Are you in a good place? Where are you? Are you in a safe place? Are you in the right place? Are you in God's place? I don't know your family background. I don't know your roots. I don't know all the places that you've been. I have no clue to the extent of how your life got started, how it was peaceful, how it was a nightmare on Elm Street. I have no idea about your life. And you see, some of you started off in some great homes. Some of you started off with some wonderful godly parents, and you've stayed in a really good place with God. Some of you started off in really good homes, and you've wandered off the reservation. Some of you didn't start off well. Maybe there was too much alcohol. Maybe there was violence. Maybe there was some molestation. Some of you didn't start well, but in the middle of your journey, somebody introduced you to Jesus. Somebody introduced you to a really good place in life. And so today, you're in a really good spot. See, how do you get in a good spot? How do you get in a good place? And how do you stay in a really good place? And so we see throughout the Bible how God used places to further his purposes. He used Rome to further his purpose to get Caesar Augustus to issue a decree. other words, a nine-month pregnant woman's never going to ride a donkey that far, 80 miles. He used the city of Jerusalem so we could use King Herod because there's a prophecy about Rachel weeping for her children and they are no more in Ramah. And remember all those babies that were killed? That was a prophecy. And he used King Herod. He used Jerusalem. He used Nazareth. That's where Mary and Joseph are from. He used Bethlehem, this real small kind of dumpy place where there weren't even enough hotel rooms. He used all those places. And that's what God does today. Now, I don't know if you want to be in the right place. I don't know if you want to be in the right place. But I do know that you can be in the right place. And I do know that every single one of us, being in the right place is the best place. Because your heavenly Father created you to be in that place. You were born 
to be in the right place. You were born to be in the best place. You were born to be in a place where God could use you for His purposes. And so every time that life is about you, you're in the wrong place. Every time that life is about what you can get and what you can have, you're in the wrong place. Every time life is about what you can do to further His kingdom and His purposes, you're in the right place. And so the question would be is, is can, can I get there? That's what the whole New Testament talks about. If you actually study the New Testament and you read any of these different books of the Bible, every single one of these books of the Bible tell you how to get in the right place and how to stay in the right place. Now, they all tell it in a different way. It's like 18 or 20 different ways, but it's all the same point. How do I get in the right place? How do I stay in the right place? I want to give you just one example, just one little tiny bit example just from the book of Ephesians. We could take Galatians. We could take Colossians. We could take Philippians. We could take the Gospels. We could take any book of the Bible. It tells you the same story. It tells you how to get in the right place, and it tells you how to stay in the right place because that is God's will for you. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. How do you get in the right place with God? You kneel. It's not about you. You don't strut. You don't bring glory to yourself. It's not about your attention. How do I get in the right place with God? For this reason, I kneel before my Father who's in heaven. I kneel. That's what I do. I kneel. I surrender my life. I submit my life. Look at the next verse, verse 15 from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. There's a recognition. How do I get in the right place? I have his name sealed and stamped on me. His name is stamped all over me. That's how I stay in the right place. Look at the next verse. He says, I pray that of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit. There's a place, folks. There's a place. It's in your inner being. There's a specific place that God wants to strengthen you. It's inside of you. He says, verse 17. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. That's how you stay right. You get right and you stay right with God. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people. Now, this is the other way that you stay right with God. You surround yourself with holy people. This is why we push connect groups. We don't push connect groups because we want to. We push connect groups because they work. We push connect groups because connect groups help you stay connected to the church, to the other people, and to God and to yourself. And and, and you want holy people like this in your life. I want to tell you a quick story about a guy named Bob White. Bob White was a Marine in Indianapolis, Indiana. We started going to church when I was about 14. So fast forward about two and a half years, and Bob's uh, about 44 years old. I'm about 16 and a half years old. And I ran cross country and track, and, and Bob, this 20-year Marine, is still in incredible shape, just a hoss of a man. And he took a liking to me, and I took a liking to him. And so in the off-seasons, we would jog together. We would run together. We would work out together. And um, so Bob and Jeanette joined the church, and Bob and Jeanette became youth coaches and youth sponsors at our church called Chapel Rock Christian Church in Indianapolis, Indiana. And so um, Bob and I would run together, and it didn't matter if it was raining, it didn't matter if it's, you know, snowing, it didn't matter. He's a Marine. 
And so uh, it was a January, and I don't know if you've been to Indiana in January, February. If you've not been to Indiana in January, February, you've not missed a thing. Okay? <laughs> what, what happens to Indiana in January and February? Snow and ice. I heard the ice. Yes, snow and ice. So it was a day when we got out of school. So Bob, retired Marine, now worked for Coca-Cola, and um, he calls me about quarter till four. We'd had the day off because of snow and ice. And Bob said to me, I'll be by your house at 0400. You know, the military people are always into that 04 something. You know, I never did get that. But anyway, 0400 meant four o'clock. And I, I said, whoa, Bob, Bob, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute. I said, wait a minute. I said, Bob, it's five degrees below zero. We're not going jogging today. And he'd say, Parker, are you a sissy or are you a man? I said, today I am a sissy, Bob. I'm not about to get outside. It's cold outside. I don't care. Call me anything you want to call me. He said, I'll be by your house in 15 minutes, and you're running with me whether you want to or not. So I thought, I better get ready and get some hat and gloves on. So we go running that day. We ran five miles, five degrees below zero. He's crazy, just crazy guy. And we'd stop every mile and do push-ups. We do push-ups on people's um, sidewalks and on people's driveways. My kids would be humiliated if they'd have seen me do that. And they think I'm crazy now. You should have seen me back then. And, and so, but on those runs, Bob would ask me questions. I didn't get it then. I get it now. He would ask me questions. Hey, what'd you think about the communion meditation at church on Sunday? And, and I'll say, I didn't get the kind of understand it. And he said, why'd you take communion? I said, well, I don't know. Everybody else did. And, I mean, we just, we'd have those kind of conversations. And he would say, uh, I understand you got baptized a couple of years ago. Tell me about your baptism and what did that mean to you? And then Bob would talk about how to love other people. I learned a lot about how to love other people in these cold and wet Indiana runs through a guy named Bob White. And all the time... Amen. (laughs) And all the time, he would be teaching me about the kingdom of God. Do you get it? You, You surround yourself with these holy people. You surround yourself with these people around you. And so he wants you to be able to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. Why? Verse 19. To know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to, verse 20. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his work, his power that is within us. See, there's a power that is within you. Now, my friends, I don't know where you are today, but I know where you can be. And I know how you get there, and I know how you stay there. And I know that God has those great things in store for you because you were born for this. You were born to experience miracles. You are a miracle. You've got 75 trillion cells mostly working for you. That's a miracle. You're not the miracle. The miracle was Jesus Christ. But you are a miracle. And you were born to share God's love for people. You were born to experience the love of Christ, and you were born to express the love of Christ. Because you've been loved, you love. Because you've been forgiven, you forgive. Because you've been given mercy, you give mercy. Because you've been given grace, you extend grace. You are born, my friends, to experience and to express the love of Christ in your life. You're born to be a link between heaven and between earth. And you are a dispenser of all the goodness that God has placed inside of you. 
Her real name is Stella Thornhope. And Stella um, was not going to decorate her house for Christmas. She was all upset because her husband, rightly upset, because he died of cancer just a month prior to Christmas. The doorbell rings. Stella goes to the door, and it's a delivery man, she thinks. Actually, it's a delivery man from the kennel, but she thinks it's a delivery man. Are you Mrs. Stella Thornhope? I am. He says, sign here, and she signs. And she said, what's in the box? And um, they open the flap, and out comes a puppy, a little bitty six-week-old puppy. And he said, she said, I didn't order a puppy. Nope, you didn't. Who bought me a puppy? And the delivery man said, your husband did. Your husband came by the kennel back in July. And in July, he knew he was going to die, and he assumed you would spend this Christmas alone. And so he bought this puppy for you, and now he's waited six weeks. We've trained the puppy, pretty much housebroken, and we're going to give you this puppy today. And Mrs. Thornhope is just overwhelmed with emotion. And she reads the letter then from her husband, Jim, her late husband, Jim. And Jim said, my dear Stella, you are and have been and always will be the love of my life. Please receive this last Christmas gift from me. I want this puppy to be your constant companion and to keep you company. I love you always, Jim. Well, she was so distraught with the letter that she couldn't realize what was going on down at her ankles and the puppy was actually licking her ankles. And so she reaches down and grabs this little golden furry ball. And she says, well, little fella, okay, I guess it's me and you. And now I know what we need to do. We're going to go down to the basement. And I'm going to start carrying up the Christmas boxes and the Christmas wrapping. And you and I are going to decorate our house together. And you can play in the empty boxes when, when I'm done. And she did. How does that happen? How did she go from not a good place to the right place? How do you do that in life? How do you go from where you are today to right in the center of the will of God for your life? Well, you give your life to Jesus, you experience the love of Christ. How do you stay in the will of God? You express it. You express that amazing experience that Jesus Christ has to offer unto you. Just a minute, we're going to sing a closing song. I don't want you to leave because that's when you make sense out of the message. That's when you take away one piece of application that you're going to put into practice this next week. But I do want to pray for you. I want to pray for you right now, and then we're going to listen to a song, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, I I pray because I'm sure in a room like this, there's some in this room that don't even care whether or not they're in the right place or not. So I'm going to ask you to give them the will to care and the will to want that. I'm going to pray that you help us with getting in the right spot, getting in the right place, that we will kneel before you, we will surrender our lives unto you, we we will be submit, we will submit ourselves to you, and we'll get in the right place and we'll stay there. I pray, Father God, that you just overwhelm us this Christmas season with our place in life, with the purposes of the places that you've given to us. I'm sure not all our places have been good. I'm sure not all the places that we've experienced have even been from you. 
But Lord, leverage these purposes and these places for your kingdom. And all this takes place, Father, because of what you did in Bethlehem. Bethlehem to me is the key to all these places. Because in Bethlehem, that's where we really get our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.